want to tell you before we get started this morning, uh, I'm leader of the uh, Tri-City Ministerial. Thanks, Lincoln. And uh, this, uh, that's the group of pastors that make up the Tri-Cities, uh, Port Coquitlam, Port Moody, and Coquitlam. And we have pastors that gather together once a month for, for lunch and to pray for our community. And uh, one event we do every year, uh, without fail, it seems like for about the last 10 or 15 years, is we invite all of the mayors, the, the politicians in our local communities to a breakfast that we put on, and we pray together with them. And uh, 14 or 15 churches sponsor that event. Hillside Community Church is a sponsor of that. We actually pay for that. The politicians who come don't have to pay anything. We want to do it to bless them. And uh, the feedback we get year after year from uh, the mayor and the city councilors, from our MLAs, MPs, uh, even think of the, the police chief and the fire uh, chief who come to these things, fire chaplains as well, and police chaplains. Um, is how blessed they are by that event. And it's happening this Saturday, and uh, you're not invited. (laughs) But I'd encourage you to pray for that. Uh, It's a fantastic opportunity to connect with those leaders and to bless them. And we leave, uh, it's kind of funny, one of the things that that we left out last year that uh, politicians told us they missed is they leave these little, we, we in the past had left little cards on the table where they could put a, a confidential prayer request that we would pray for them in. And we left that out one year thinking that it wasn't, a few would take advantage of that, but boy, they, were, they really missed it when it wasn't there. And so they value our prayers and uh, we've got an election happening in about a month's time and we want to be praying for our community leaders. Uh, municipally, they, they wield a lot of power there was a day where the church was not welcome in the Tri-Cities. Uh, right now, though, I would say we have three mayors who are practicing Christians. That's, that's fantastic. I mean, they went on a road trip, for goodness sakes, to uh, Ontario in an RV for a week. So God is bringing unity to uh, that group of, of leaders, and we want to keep praying into that. It's a good thing. So would you pray for us this week? Pray for me. I'm there kind of facilitating this whole deal, and, and it's... Uh, made my life kind of hectic lately trying to secure all those things. So I'd appreciate your prayers, but that's happening this coming Saturday morning. So thank you for your prayers on that. Well, anyone who knows me knows that I like movies, right? F.A., you know I like movies, and I know you like movies. I love movies, and even though I love films, I know that when you watch a film, you enter a special kind of reality that's not reality, correct? Correct. Yeah, I mean, like, like in real obvious ways, sometimes uh, you'll see aliens and, and space things happening. You know, that's just absolutely science fiction. Um, but there's also that kind of special kind of reality uh, that you enter into an, that, that is offered, often offered in a lot of Hollywood films. Check out this list of observations from the world of film. All grocery shopping bags contain at least one stick of French bread. You'll notice that if you watch the movies. Uh, The ventilation system of any building is the perfect hiding place. (laughs) I like this one. The Eiffel Tower can be seen from any window in Paris. (laughs) Uh, This is great. A man will show no pain while taking the most ferocious beating, but but will wince when a woman tries to clean his wounds. (laughs) Cars that crash will almost always burst into flames, of course. It's always possible to park directly outside the the building that you're visiting. Um, Any lock can be picked by a credit card or a paper clip in seconds, unless it's the door to a burning building with a child trapped inside. (laughs) All bombs, they're fitted with electronic timing devices with large red readouts so you know exactly when they're going to go off. 
medieval peasants had perfect teeth. And uh, finally... <laughs> yeah, when did they invent the toothbrush, I wonder? And it doesn't matter if you're heavily outnumbered in a fight involving martial arts. Your enemies will patiently wait to attack you one by one by dancing around in a threatening manner until you have knocked out their predecessors. <laughs> the world according to the movies. So movies have a way of kind of twisting reality, and we can see that, and that's, not, that's just one way they twist reality, but it seems like our reality has its own way of getting twisted easily enough. Part of what we do here and gather on, on Sundays to do here weekly is to sing and to worship and to pray and to look at Scripture is to remember that that stuff's not reality. We're, we're here to refocus on what is true and what is real and what is right and good and, and genuine. Um, and this is important according to our text that we just read this morning. Jesus said this. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. He says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I mean, according to Jesus, uh, truth matters. It, it's actually kind of important. And this morning, we're going to explore the paradox of how being connected to Jesus, and particularly to his wisdom as we read it in Scripture, sets us free. Um, we've been in this uh, new series, for those of you who've been around, on what it looks like to experience God in every part of our lives. And, and we've been talking about how a rhythm of life supports our friendship with Jesus and how that kind of life can really set us free. And, and real freedom is not being able to do whatever we want to do. Real freedom is having the power to do what God designed us to do, because when we honor our, our God-given design, we flourish, and, and we're free. Um, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the gift of Sabbath, and how if we honor this 24-hour period of rest, taking time to, to pray and to, and to play, that that will be a, a life-giving gift to us. And it's been funny. Uh, some of you have been saying, Derwin, I've been trying to practice this. Um, it's been difficult. I hadn't practiced that really before. And, uh, and, and it's been such a good thing for me. I, I, someone in our small group shared this week and said, you know, I almost got through an entire Sunday. My, my habit on Sunday was to, to do all kinds of chores and, and get that done. I've been trying to shift away from that. And, and they said, uh, but Sunday night, I just kind of slipped into my old habits, and I, I, I started doing laundry. She's like, oh, I almost made it. And I'm like, you get, effort, you get uh, credit for trying, I think, in those, those cases. It's all right. But uh, that's an important kind of corner piece uh, of our walk with God is learning to practice Sabbath and learning that it's a gift. Last week, Ken Shigematsu talked about prayer and meditation. And uh, I just love how simple prayer can be. We sometimes complicate it, and we get intimidated by people who can pray really well. And yet, I, I like Anne Lamont's simple version of prayer. You know, she says there's three essential prayers you need to pray. It's these. Wow, help, and thank you. That's it. That's all you need to know right there. If you're, if you're confused about prayer, it's like, wow, help, and thank you. That'll get you through most of your life right there. But that, that prayer, Sabbath is one of those core anchor practices. Then you move on to, to prayer. And then this morning we're going to look at this third core practice, the bottom of the trellis here, if you can see it. Just next slide. Yep. Sabbath, prayer, and sacred reading. And so we're going to look at that, how the word, the word of Jesus, sets us free. So why don't we pause for a moment. Bow your heads and let's... let's uh, 
Let's commit this time to God. Lord, um, we don't want to be just hearers of your word. We want to be practicers of your word. Help us to grow in, in both knowing your truth and knowing how to live it and have it be a part of us. Guide us this morning by your spirit and lead us, we pray, in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting, one of the titles that Ken Shigematsu uh, considered for his book was A Rule That Sets You Free. And he submitted it to his publisher, and the publisher said, uh, I don't think so. I mean, why? Because nobody likes the word rule, right? It sounds kind of intense. It sounds like something that's imposed on you. And so they objected to that. But, but it's, a, it's, it's true that the rule of Jesus, as paradoxical as it sounds sets us free. The, the reign of, of Jesus in our life actually liberates us. And here in, in John 8, Jesus defines freedom in a, in a different way than most of our society defines freedom. It, m- many define freedom as the capacity to do whatever it is you want to do. Sort of the, the mantra of Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. We did it our way. We're doing it my way. But we, we know really from both observation and from our own personal experience, that, that sometimes doing it our way doesn't lead to freedom, but leads to bondage. And, and Jesus, in verse 34, says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. And this can be really obvious in some cases. I mean, you could take uh, drug use or pornography. When we, uh, when we do those things, we experience this chemical hit to the brain, this dopamine release in our brain that feels really good. It creates what they call a high, right? And you feel up temporarily, but we're going to come down, and then you experience withdrawal. You could call it reality. And then in order to reach the same high, we'll need a a little bit more of the drug or a little bit more of the, the pornography than before. And we'll find ourselves craving more and more and more of what satisfies us less and less. We'll be walking kind of down this pathway to prison. With other sins, it might be less obvious when we choose to lie or to, to hold on to resentment or to act on our greed. We create a, a pathway, I think, that, that makes it just a, a little bit easier the next time around to do those things, to lie and to, to hold on to bitterness and to act on our greed. You see, we've talked about this before, but according to Jesus and, and according to scriptures, the penalty for sin is usually not zap judgment, you know, like fire from heaven. The penalty for sin is really more built in. It's, it's kind of more organic. The, the penalty for sin is, is more sin. We get more of, of what we chose, a greater appetite and a greater tendency to, to sin, and it leads to us becoming trapped. Uh, philosopher William James explains that, that a habit, good or, or bad, is, is kind of like water, that over time creates a channel in the ground, or a groove in the ground, a channel that just grows broader and, and deeper. The water stops, but when it begins to, to flow again, it follows its original path. And James says that, that when we commit to an action and it becomes a, a habit, it's, it's like water in the ground creating this rut or, or this, this groove. You can see a, an example of a rut that you might get in on the screen. Choose your rut carefully. You'll be in it for the next 60 miles. But, but this groove, this, this habit that we choose becomes a deeper, broader channel, and it, can, it, it takes a certain route. Even if we stop doing what we're doing, when we take up that action again, it, it follows the same path. So I, the irony really is, is that, 
that sometimes a path we think will lead to, to freedom makes us a slave. And, and on the other hand, sometimes when we pursue a path that to others might seem binding, that path leads to freedom. I mean, Elton Trueblood, he, he's famously quoted as saying that the paradox of freedom is that we are most free when we are bound. And Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, that, now that might even sound like a fairly presumptuous thing for him to say. Um, actually, kind of audacious, really, when you think about what he says. <laughs> if you hold to my teaching, you're my disciples, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set, let, let, set you free. Let me set the context of where Jesus says this. Early in the passage in John 8, the conversation Jesus is having with, with people, it sounds like from the text, they were, they were former believers of him. They followed him, perhaps, for a while, and, and maybe walked away or something. But they're saying, Jesus, we know where we came from. We're the descendants of Abraham. And for a Jewish person on that day to say that, it was really a claim to fame. They, they, Abraham had lived 2,000 years before. Abraham was kind of the founder of the people of Israel, uh, the, the people of God, chosen, hand-selected by God to, to have his lineage lead that people. And they're saying, we know where we came from. We're the biological and spiritual descendants of Abraham. But they're saying, we don't know where you came from, Jesus. Where did you come from? Who's your father? We don't know who your father is. And, and uh, if you know the, the backdrop of Jesus' story, this was really a slight. This was actually like calling Jesus an illeg- illegitimate child. There's other nastier words for what they might have called him. But there's like, we don't know. We, we know there's a lot of mystery around your birth. Uh, the whole virgin birth, it's a little sketchy, Jesus. We know all about that. And and they're asking, who's your father? And Jesus responds to their questioning with this kind of stunning line. Here, maybe as if you were there for the first time. Jesus says, before Abraham was, and this is 2,000 years ago that Abraham was, Jesus says, I am. You see, in, in a Jewish context for Jesus to say, before Abraham was, I am, would have been the clearest way for Jesus to say, I'm God. I am God. Because that was the name God gave to Moses when Moses met God in the burning bush. And, and Moses said, can you tell me your name? And, and God gives himself a name at that point. And he says, I am who I say I am. I am who I am, he says. And, and when Jesus says to his fellow Jews before Abraham was, I am, he is clearly and categorically saying, I am God. And we're told that when he said these kind of things that that he want, the Jews wanted to stone him because this was blasphemy to them. And C.S. Lewis famously points out again that if Jesus actually claimed to be God, which he did on numerous occasions, then he was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was Lord and God. And if Jesus Christ is in fact Lord and, and God in human form, then it's not an overstatement for Jesus to say, if you hold to my teaching, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so Jesus' truth, it it reflects reality. Um, It it reflects the way things really are, not just the way they they appear. And he said things that that seem absurd at first. He's he's the one who said, Paul quotes him as saying, it is more blessed to give than receive. And intuitively, we think that indeed it must be the other way around. And of course, it's better to receive than to give, is it not? We all like to receive. Who who does, does not like Christmas morning? Okay, Kay's like, I don't like it. (laughs) 
you've received enough. I'd say Kay's probably figured out that it's more blessed to give than receive. And, and I know that, that many of you, if we wanted to ask you this, you could stand up and, and tell stories about how you've, you've tested that principle out and you found it to be true. It is indeed more blessed to give than receive. Jesus said some other absurd things. He said, love your enemies, right? I mean, how crazy is that? I, I, here's the thing. I, I would dare you to practice that. This has been something uh, I'd say in the last uh, couple of years I've been trying to get better at. When somebody... It, when I'm, I'm tempted to put somebody into the enemy category, and I'm not talking about enemy as in, like, warring type, but somebody that really annoys me and makes me angry or uh, annoys me in some, some, some foundational way, I've been trying to actually practice this. And you know what? I, I think I found it's a better way of life, actually. It's, it's actually a better way to live. I don't like, I don't know about you, but where does hate lead, lead us, both individually and, and as a culture? messed, right? Love your enemies. Jesus was saying something so counter-cultural, but actually so much better, such a better way to live. In fact, my son, uh, Noah, who loves to play football, we, we actually went to the BC Lions game last night, and, and his football team is playing this afternoon. It's going to be fun. But um, it, he was telling me, I, I actually watched him do this. He's an offensive lineman, and he's, he's uh, you know, staring down the what, the, the, the linebackers on the other side? Is that correct? Are those the guys you're grappling with, son? Yeah, kind of. He says kind of. is like, Dad, you know nothing, do you? <laughs> it's true. I'm not, I don't pretend to love football, but I love it for his sake. And he's, and, but they, you got these two big men staring at each other, and then when the, the quarterback does, does the play, they charge at each other and basically grapple there, and, and then the play's over, and they, they uh, step back. And I saw... Noah, I do this uh, a few weeks ago, and in one of his first games, is uh, after the play was over, he, he gave the, the opponent guy just a tap on the shoulder and gave him a nod. And I said, Noah, why did you do that? And, he, and Noah said to me, he says, Dad, I find you get so mad at the other guy. And, and you're just like in this, you're like your opponents, and you're, you're going at each other, and i so crazily inflamed with anger at the, in those moments as you're supposed to be in that role. And he says, I find... Just one little tap on the guy's shoulder, and it all, it all kind of floats away. He was practicing loving his enemy right on the football field. Good for you, son. In fact, the coach said, I, I wanted to make him a defensive player, but he's not mean enough. <laughs> yes. Such a failure. Oh. Uh, Jesus said things like, forgive those who forgive you, who hurt or offend you. And that again sounds kind of ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, yet according to a pile of contemporary research on forgiveness, lots of smart people study this and, and its effects. There's all kinds of practical benefits to, to actually practicing forgiveness and letting go of offenses. A Harvard article listed a number of positive benefits to forgiving people. Reduced stress. Researchers found that mentally nursing a grudge puts your body through the same strains as a major stressful event. You know, muscles tense, blood pressure rises, and sweating increases. Um, Better heart health. Uh, One study found a link between forgiving someone for betrayal and improvements in blood pressure and heart rate and a decreased workload for the heart. Stronger relationships. A 2004 study showed that women who were able to forgive their spouses and feel compassionate toward them, resolved conflicts more effectively. Reduced pain. This was a new one to me. 
a study on people with chronic back pain found that those who practiced meditation focusing on converting their anger to compassion felt less pain and anxiety than those who received regular care. And one survey showed that people who talk about forgiveness during counseling sessions experience greater improvements than those who don't. So, so Jesus wasn't just flippantly, flippantly saying, forgive those who hurt you. He knew that forgiveness is, is a law of reality. It's, it's something that, that uh, it, you need to practice for your own sake and for the sake of the world. Uh, Ken Shigematsu describes it this way, talking about how the difference between the law of the stop sign and the law of gravity. The law of the stop sign says if you don't stop at that four-way stop in your neighborhood, you may actually get caught by the police. You may end up having to, to pay a fine or a penalty. You might actually get an offender bender. You might hit another car. It's for, for that reason, but you might sail through. There's a good chance you might make it through and, and be okay. But the law of gravity says that if you jump over your balcony from the 20th floor and fall, you are going to get hurt. You really are. That's the law of gravity. And the law of fire says that if you put your hand in the fire, your, your hand is going to get burned. And you may break the law of the stop sign, but you and I never really break the law of gravity and the law of fire. We just break ourselves over it. But when we honor those laws and the laws of, of Jesus and his wisdom, which reflects reality, we honor our design, we, we flourish, and we're free. Um, I don't know if this is, uh, happens to any of you, but every time I fly, every time I get on a plane, I, I, I hate the fact that we don't just get on and, and off we go. They give you time to sit and simmer. And, and I'm sitting there in my, my, uh, my seat, and I'm looking around, and I'm seeing, you know, there's a couple hundred people on this plane. And uh, I start thinking about it and go, you know, this is a big, this is like the size of a house, a big house, this long tube. And it must be really, really heavy. This thing wasn't meant to fly. And I look at it, if I'm over the wings, I'm looking at it, that looks pretty flimsy, really. How does that do anything? Does anyone have that kind of feeling when you're there? And I, and I got to say, I, I, I'm not, you know, a, a science guy. I'm not uh, skilled in, in thinking about aerodynamic, the, the laws of aerodynamics and all those kind of things. But yet, even though I don't understand how a, flame, a plane can fly, I can still get on board a plane, and, and it'll take me to places that otherwise I couldn't go. It's kind of a cool thing, actually. And, and the same is true with the law uh, and, and the wisdom of Jesus. Even if we don't fully understand the law of God and the wisdom of Jesus, if we accept it and honor it, we can really benefit from it. We can flourish. We can find ourselves free. To shift the metaphor a little bit, if you're a sailor and you go sailing and you understand the laws of the wind and the wave, you'll be free as a sailor. But if you, you say, well, I'm not really a rule keeper. You know, I'm kind of a free wheeler. I'm a, a rebel. I'm going to ignore the law of the wind and the wave. You better wear a life jacket and a wetsuit because you're going to get wet. You're going to capsize. But if you honor the law of the wind and the wave as you sail, you're going to be free. So what is with the way of Jesus? If we understand his wisdom and his laws, which reflect reality, and as we practice them, we'll, we'll flourish and, and we'll be free because Jesus is a rule that sets us free. It's a reign in our lives that liberates us. And here in John 8, um, Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. The words hold to come from the Greek word meno, which 
is the same word Jesus uses in John 15, 5 when he says, if you will remain, if you abide in me, you will uh, bear much fruit. The, the word meno can be translated as abide or remain or hold to. And Dale Bruner, who is a brilliant New Testament scholar, he translates the word meno, which is typically translated as remain or abide. He says it can also be make your home in. That's really what the word abide means, dwell in. And make your home in Jesus' word. And Dr. Bruner says that, that's an image that's not, it's not meant to be a, a strenuous activity that involves a lot of heavy lifting. Jesus is calling us to this gift, to this, this invitation. And, and you make your home somewhere, and that, and that place is, is going to influence you wherever you make your home. It's going to be the place where you rest. It's going to be the place where you feed, uh, where you interact with people, the place where you're filled with a, a set of values. Wherever you make your home, it will shape your life, right? Um, we've got uh, very good friends named Jim and Rini who live on uh, Qualcomm Beach in Vancouver Island. And uh, about a decade ago, we met them at a wedding. They're, they are related to people at a hillside here. And uh, uh, it was very, very cool. Uh, after uh, we got to know them a little bit, they invited us. They said, hey, listen, anytime you're over here on the island, uh, we've got a, an empty basement suite, and you're welcome to come and, and stay here uh, anytime you like, for as long as you like. And so we've had the habit, we've, the, the practice over the last number of years of spending about a week of our summer vacation over in Qualicum Beach. In fact, we didn't get to go this year. Um, Jim and Rini went on a, ro- a, 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 a road trip across the country, and they, like, shut down their house, and so they said, you can't come. And, like, our boys were devastated. They're like, it doesn't feel like summer, summer uh, vacation if we don't go to Uncle Jim and Auntie Rini's. It was uh, real suffering on our part. Um, they're still friends. But uh, they've got just a beautiful home in a nice neighborhood. It's spacious and inviting. Uh, we always do some meals with them. They, they uh, have family that have a nearby farm, and so they, have these, they put on these farm-to-table dinners for us. And then they'll, uh, they'll get berries and stuff and make us this waffle breakfast in the morning. It's, it's unbelievable. And they're just minutes um, from the ocean where we, we love to, to spend time by the water. And when we're with them, we feel nourished and we feel uplifted, and we feel energized. It feels like a great, great gift. When you make your home in Jesus' word, you're going to feel nourished spiritually. You're going to feel rest. Even if Jesus' words challenge you, like forgiving offenses or giving away your money or loving your enemies, but if you follow his words, you'll feel at rest in your soul. You'll feel peace. You'll feel uplifted. You'll feel energized. You'll feel free. So practically speaking this morning, what does it look like to actually make our home in Jesus' word, in God's word? I want to spend the rest of our time thinking about this. Well, if you're newer to your faith or you're re-engaging your faith in God, one of the ways you might consider doing this is, is somehow getting a, a kind of a broad sweep of script, scripture. You know, when I was a new Christian, I read the Bible cover to cover from Genesis to Revelation. And uh, I, I really appreciate that background, having the whole kind of broad, bigger picture of what was going on in the story of God, finding out that there's an Old Testament and a New Testament, and that they interrelate, and it was very, very good for me. Um, how many of you, though, have, have, with good intentions, decided you were going to read the Bible, and you sat down, and, and you began reading, and you found Genesis was, was just really a good read. I mean, you got, like, some fantastic things happen in Genesis, and Exodus is just even cooler. You got Moses, 
And, and, and then you move right on into Leviticus, and then it's like, oh, what a letdown. Uh, anyone uh, struggle with Leviticus? Like, you, you're going through, and it's like you got stalled at Leviticus, right? It's like you're, you're, you had such great intentions, but it's like, I can't do this anymore. I think Leviticus, for some, is uh, synonymous with the word pain. Uh, but I found that. I found that myself. And, and so here's a suggestion for some of you, is to consider reading a guide called The Essential 100. It's actually a guide put out by the Scripture Union in the UK. They suggest what their version of the, the 100 essential scriptures uh, in, the, in the whole Bible. So in 100 sittings, you can read kind of the, 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 the top scriptures, so, so it's pretty helpful. And we've got copies in the back that you can grab, or you can find it on the Internet, uh, and it's on our Facebook page. But that might be a very helpful thing. that gives you kind of 100 readings that take you through the whole broad sweep of scripture. Now, if you're eager to, to get through the whole of the Bible, we have Bible reading plans for you, too, and you can get, grab those in the foyer as well. Um, you can find these, uh, a great site is Bible Gateway or Uversion. Uversion, you can have great apps for your phone that will give you readings, and you can choose the different versions you want to read them in. Uh, it's, it's an excel, excellent tool, which I use every day. I, I'd, I'd encourage you to consider that. You can actually choose a, a pace that is right for you. You can read the whole Bible through, and not, not just one year, but you can do it over two years or three years or four years. And one of the things that makes it difficult to read the Bible at times is you get into places that are pretty obscure and pretty hard to understand. And, and one of the things that can help is to get a little bit of the background on the, the cultural and historical background of, of why an author was writing what he was writing, who he was writing it to, the context of the whole, the whole book or letter. A, a great book to help you with that is a book called Reading the Bible Book by Book. It's by a professor of mine, uh, uh, Gordon Fee. He's an excellent uh, mind on the New Testament. Douglas Stewart is an Old Testament uh, scholar. And that's a resource that I encourage. It, it, it's one where you can just read, before you start a new book of the Bible, you read a chapter, read their description of that particular book, and that's an excellent help. And uh, I'd encourage you to consider that. It'll be also on our Facebook page. But if you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, and if you've read through the Bible several times, it may not be that helpful to try to read through the Bible again and again and again uh, from cover to cover. What might be more helpful for you is to actually take a smaller piece of Scripture and to memor memorize it or meditate on it, just to, to kind of chew on those words, think, think those thoughts over a few days or even a few weeks, sometimes for a whole season. I'm finding that to be very, very helpful for me in my journey with God. Um, the last little while, I, I feel like I've been living in about 10 psalms. I've been reading Psalm 60 to about 69, and I've been finding they've been just been speaking to me, and the words are becoming more familiar to me, and I've been reading those psalms. And I've been reading a scripture, a uh, very familiar one from Matthew 11. I've been reading this every day, and it's been in a, in a season where I feel like potentially uh, lots of burdens in my life, potentially, and I'm reading Jesus' invitation, Come to me, all you who are weary, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And uh, as I consider those words every day, I contemplate what it means to actually give God my heavy load. And I actually really struggle with that. Um, I want to keep my load. I want to be in charge of my load. Uh, I like defining my burdens and holding on to them. And so this is a scripture for me that's been very helpful that I've been able to very specifically 
daily practice or try to practice giving that over to God. And as I do that, I realize the way of Jesus is, is easy. The way, the way of Jesus is light. And maybe for you, it's, it's finding a, a few scriptures that you just live in for a while and, and spend some time in in, de- in a deeper way, uh, memorizing and thinking it through. Um, I want to lead us through, just uh, before we close, I want to uh, suggest another um, practice for you, is imaginatively entering scripture. Um, this, again, just this year has been something I've been practicing since about January, of taking a passage of scripture and, and trying to not just read it from an outside perspective, but I've been trying to either enter the story or enter the words that have been being said. And uh, so one of the things I've done is, is to take one of those psalms I was telling you about, and I, I'll read it, and I'll imagine that I'm, and I picture in my mind, if you're not a visual person, this might be more difficult, you might have to do this in more of a verbal way, but I picture in my mind that I'm sitting in a coffee shop, I picture my coffee shop, and Jesus is sitting across from me. Whatever Jesus looks like to you, I picture my Jesus, and he's sitting there, and he's speaking that, that psalm to me. So I'm hearing it with his tone of voice, I'm, I'm looking at his eyes, I'm hearing him as he shares those words. And for you, uh, I wonder if, if that might be a practice you might consider adopting. It, it could be the, the kind of thing where, um, and, and I do this too, is, is you enter one of the stories of Scripture. I, I sometimes confess one of my favorites is Moses, standing at the Red Sea. He's got a staff in his hand, and I picture him holding the staff. And sometimes I imagine I'm Moses, and I look over my shoulder, and there's, there's Pharaoh's armies there, and there's all these people pressing in saying, Moses, we need help. And I'm Moses, and all I've got is a staff. And, and I picture me putting the staff out, and the waters part. It is so awesome. I feel like such a child of God, like in a real Lord Aragorn kind of way, you know, like to the battle. But why don't we just try this for this morning? I'm going to invite you to, to close your eyes. And uh, I'm going to lead you through one of Mark's gospel, uh, one of the, the stories in Mark's gospel. And I encourage you to enter this story with your heart. Be open to a personal word from God to you today. He, he can speak to us through his word. He does. If uh, you're visual, try and picture it in your, in your brain. If you're, again, if you're more of a verbal person, uh, let your words be your guide. This is from Mark 4. You're with the disciples standing near the Sea of Galilee. You can hear the, the lapping of the water. And you can feel the moisture in the air and the blowing of a gentle breeze. You hear Jesus call out, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. Jesus is already in the boat, so you and the other disciples quickly climb in. You push off from shore. Some of the disciples grab oars and they begin to row and the boat slowly moves away from the shore Jesus takes a place in the back of the boat he grabs a cushion for his head he just looks weary and he lies down and as you and the disciples continue across the lake you begin to feel the force of the wind picking up you notice the waves are beginning to build in height and intensity and as the waves continue to grow They start crashing into the boat, causing huge amounts of water to fill the boat. You look at the faces of the disciples, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, 
fishermen who grew up on the lake and you see fear in their eyes and you hear panic in their voices. They're saying, start getting some of this water out of the boat, they shout. Your mind is racing. Fear is rising and, and gaining control over you as each wave crashes into the boat, bringing with it more water. You suddenly remember Jesus, man of God, powerful, caring, concerned, and involved. And you turn to see him, seeking to draw strength and courage and hope from him. But he's sleeping. Jesus is sleeping while you and the disciples are facing certain death. Anger begins to rise within you. Doesn't Jesus care? Your fear begins to birth panic and you rush over to Jesus frantically shaking him and shouting, don't you care that we're about to drown? Jesus awakens. Quiet down, he says. And the wind and waves stop. He then looks at you and the rest of the disciples saying, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith in me? Take a few moments and reflect on these questions. What thoughts and fears would you like to bring to Jesus? What thoughts and fears would you like to bring to Jesus? What do you think about that Jesus feels about these things and about your fear? go back into the story again. This time, the waves are crashing. It's hitting a crisis. It feels like the storm is going to take over. You suddenly remember Jesus. There he is. There he is in the back. And you see that he's sleeping, and you're amazed. And you climb back to the back of the boat with him. And you choose to lie down beside him and hold on to his strong arm. You can open your eyes again. God has gifted you with an imagination and there are times that he can use that powerfully to help you enter into a story like that and perhaps bring a truth that you know in your head and move it into your heart God wants to do that um, that's not the only way to engage in scripture I, I want to encourage you those of you who have uh, Ken's book God in my everything he, he's got a chapter on sacred reading and um, it's got some great thoughts uh, and, and approaches you can take. Some of our small groups are going to be practicing that this week, but if you want to become a person who, who knows God, who experiences God in your everything, then, then 
make your home in Jesus' word. Become so attached to Jesus that his truth becomes part of you and, and part of the way you live. Make your home in Jesus' word and you will really be his disciple. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. As, as Lincoln comes, do you, do you want to just uh, close your eyes? Let's pray again. Jesus said, Come to me, eh, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying, make your home with me in my heart and in, in my, my word. What might that look like for you this morning? Perhaps it's starting a new habit of, of reading, and, and, and you could try the Essential 100, or for some who know Jesus and have known him for years, it might mean meditating on or perhaps even memorizing a, a whole passage of Scripture that will be part of you for the rest of your life. It will be a gift for you, and, and it's going to bear fruit in your life. How is Jesus speaking to you this morning? Respond as he invites you into the home of his word. Amen. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Lift your eyes to heaven. Lift your eyes to heaven. There is freedom. Lift your eyes to heaven. There is freedom. Well, freedom reigns in this place. Showers of mercy and Falling on every face, there is freedom. Jesus reigns in this place, showers of mercy and grace. Falling on every face. There is freedom If you're tired and thirsty There is freedom If you're tired and thirsty There is freedom